Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. We'll be, we'll be speaking on the Blood Covenant from now, right on through Easter Sunday. We want to bring out some very important things. And also, we want to be prepared for the covenant meal. We've got a lot of ground to cover. So if you'll find Joshua 21st chapter, we're going to begin looking at verse 43 in a minute. So far, we have come to the understanding that our Heavenly Father chose to enter into a covenant relationship with man. He chose to do it. In his sovereignty and by his own will, he chose to enter into a covenant relationship with the human race. Well, that covenant relationship means that every word that he has spoken, every promise that he has made, is backed up by his very life. He's got to keep his word and he's got to keep the promise or he's got to die. And we know God can't die. But again, I'll emphasize and reemphasize that the word is backed up by his life. It's a blood covenant agreement. It's backed up by his life. If he has spoken it, it will come to pass so long as we are keeping our end of the covenant. And, of course, that's walking in love by faith. Psalm 89, verse 34 said, My covenant will I not break, nor will I alter the word that's gone out of my mouth. Now, people say, you faith people, you think you got God in a box. You say, he's got to do what you pray and ask him to do. But you are taking away from him his sovereignty. Well, that's just showing a lack of knowledge concerning the covenant. God, in his sovereignty, wanted to wipe out Israel off the face of the earth. But Moses interceded on the strength of the blood covenant and said, Now, Father God, repent of this evil that you have thought to do unto your people. And he remembered Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Bible says, and God repented of the evil he thought to do unto his people. On the strength of the blood covenant, he had to keep his word. For he swore by himself... For there was no greater to swear by that he would fulfill his word and give them an inheritance. Now here we see under the leadership and guidance of Joshua, Israel entered into that blessing, the inheritance that was promised unto Abraham. But under the leadership and the guidance of Moses, they did not enter in. Because they did not keep the covenant. They broke the covenant in the wilderness. They sinned against the covenant. They did not enter into the, bl the blessings and the promises that were theirs rightfully. And God said, I, I swore by myself that you'd enter in. But even though I swore, you will not enter in because you have not kept the covenant. So we can readily see then that this covenant that we have... Just not going to fall on us, the promises and the benefits that is, not going to fall on us out of the sky without us doing anything. We've got to know the covenant. We've got to understand the covenant. We've got to enforce our legal rights of the covenant so that we can enjoy the blessings and the promises. Now, let's look in for the 43rd verse of the 21st chapter of Joshua and see how powerful this covenant was and how God the Father fulfilled His word unto the Israelites. And the Lord gave... Unto Israel, all the land which he swore. See, he swore, didn't he? He swore to give them the land. To give unto their fathers. He swore to give them this land. But as of yet, they didn't possess it. Under the leadership of Moses. But now he has given them the land. And they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about. The rest he's talking about is the blessings... Of the covenant. You will rest in me. It will be a land flowing with milk and honey. There will not be any sick. I'll take it away from you. The sickness and diseases. He said, 
There'll not be ba any barren in the land. There'll not be any miscarriages in the land. And so on and so forth. That's the rest that he talked about. Now, they're entering into it. Okay, and look what it says. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. Under Moses' leadership, when they stood before the enemy, the giants of the land, they didn't possess the land. They were so afraid of their enemies. But under the guidance of Joshua, he led them right into the promised land. And as God said, there's not one of your enemies that can stand to your face. Now look at the rest of that. And the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Hallelujah. And look at the last verse. There fell not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken. Everything he spoke came to pass. Every good thing he said from his mouth that he would bless Israel with, they are blessed with now. And look at the last part. Under the house of Israel, all came to pass. You better circle that. Hallelujah. All came to pass. Everything he spoke, everything he said, all the blessings, everything he said he would do. I'll take your enemies and when they come at you one way, they'll flee from you in seven ways. It all came to pass. I'll take sickness and disease and remove it from the midst of you. It all came to pass. Bless God. He's a man of his word, isn't he? He's a man of integrity. He's a God of integrity. Praise God. Okay, now, we saw in our understanding of covenant ceremony, we saw, first of all, the two heads coming together, Abraham and the father. We saw the exchange of gifts, their lives, one for another. We saw the cutting where blood flows. Circumcision and the substitute sacrifice and animal sacrifice. We saw they didn't drink the blood because that was not in God's program. We saw then the law was added to the covenant because Israel sinned against the covenant. The law we saw was added in Galatians 3.19 because of that transgression to avoid God's destroying them off the earth. We saw in Galatians 3.24... That the law was also to be a schoolmaster. To teach them and lead them unto Christ. Teach them of Him and lead them unto Him. Unto Christ. And here we see now the blessings and the curses were pronounced by the priests as they stood on two mountains. Remember that's where we left off? Two mountains. Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. They divided the nation of Israel down the middle. They put the half of them on one side, half on the other side. They had the priests half on one side, half on the other side. They pronounced the blessings and the curses. The law was added because they continually broke the covenant. Now remember, even though they entered in here under Joshua's leadership, they still broke the covenant afterward. When they kept the covenant, the blessings were on them. When they broke the covenant, the curses came on them. Now we see the priests reminding them year after year. Of, the, of uh, the covenant blessings and the curses of the law. The curses are of the law. The blessings are of who? Abraham. God's intention was not to curse them, but to bless them. And we see them doing that time and time again. Once a year, they're going up on the mountains, pronouncing the blessings and the curses. This is the first function of what we call the Levit Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood, as you know, was added. Because the covenant law, the Mosaic law, could not possibly be kept. Which we will see as we go on. Well, what I want you to do then is turn to Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, and begin reading at verse 1. This is where we left off. The blessings are of Abraham. The curses are of the law. We can readily see that when a man keeps the covenant, he is blessed and enters into all the blessings. When a man does not keep the covenant, he is cursed and they enter into all the curses. The law was added to instruct them and to make provision for their sins. Okay, verse 1. On Mount Ebal and on Mount Gerizim, here's what they read. The words of the law. The blessings from Mount Gerizim. It shall come to pass that thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord your God to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Notice, if they keep the word. The blessings will come on them. And commandments and statutes and judgments. Not if God wants to bless them or not. has nothing to do with it. 
If they keep the word, it's automatic. The blessings shall come on them and overtake them. And the, all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. If thou hearken, thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shall thou be in the city. Blessed shall thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your cattle, the fruit of your, increase of your kind, the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shall be thy when I come and sin, when thou goest out, so on and so forth. Verse 7. The Lord shall cause thy enemies to rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee from before you in seven ways. Now let's stop there for a minute. There's more down there. He says, I'll make you the head not to tell you shall be above only and not beneath. We call these the blessings of Abraham. But as long as Israel was keeping the covenant, hearkening unto the voice of the Lord their God, obeying what the word said, obeying what the commandments were, as long as they were keeping in tune with the covenant, they were blessed. They were blessed with, first of all, we divide these uh, blessings up into three categories, but I think we should, we're going to add a fourth category today. Number one, eternal life. Number two, prosperity. Number three, health. Life. Prosperity and health. Prosperity, health, and life. Whichever way you want to put it. Prosperity, life, and health. We call them the blessings of Abraham. And we've heard people preach about that and talk about that. And I think we've limited the blessings of Abraham to three. And I don't believe that's what's written here. I believe there's more than three blessings. Life, health, and prosperity. There's one more blessing of Abraham that's vital to every believer on the face of the earth. And I believe it needs to be here and it needs to be emphasized right now. You're only going to walk in light of it is if you hear the word spoken. The only way you're going to walk in health is if you hear somebody preach about health. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And that fourth one is protection. Write it down. Verse 7. Protection. Protection. Divine protection. You know, I, I think we've had it. Up to here with listening to God's people dying in airplane crashes and car wrecks and all these calamities, all these terrible things happening to the people in the body of Christ. And I believe there's a lack of teaching on divine protection to the body of Christ. I believe our covenant is a better covenant. And he said, I'll be your shield and exceedingly great reward. I'll protect you in time of trouble. Isn't that so? Why we stop at three then? I'm going to bring out the fourth one. I'm going to live by it, bless God. I want to enjoy divine protection from my God. He is a protecting God. And I'm going to show you in the book of John that it was already negotiated by Jesus and the Father accepted the fact that He would protect His children from the evil of this world. Hallelujah. Amen. So long as the Israelites were keeping the covenant, they walked in life, limited life, health. They had a promissory note on life. Health protection from disease and prosperity and divine protection. Not one soldier died in battle. If the enemy came one way, there's only one way he could come by the power of deception, then he would flee from you in seven directions if you stood upon the covenant. Okay? So let's talk about protection. Protection from, see, your enemies. Protection from disease. That's better than healing. Isn't it? Protection from disease. Protection from pestilence. Protection in war or battle. Now listen to this wonderful, wonderful blessing of the covenant. In battle, there was not one soldier slain in the Israeli army. In battle, when walking in light of the covenant... They were so divinely protected that the power of God, the strength of God. We talk about, He's the strength of my life. What's it mean, He's the strength of my life? He, he was so powerful in their lives that one Israeli soldier walking in the covenant, walking in fellowship with God through the covenant, could kill 800 men at battle. At least we have a record that one did it. But also... We'll go a step further. It is said that one who was walking in the covenant could put a thousand other enemy soldiers to flight. And two Israelis walking together in the covenant, protected by the covenant, and the power of God upon them could put 10,000 literal soldiers to flight in battle. One, a thousand, two, ten thousand. Protection from your enemies. You see, this is the same power that David walked in, understanding and knowing his covenant rights, understanding divine protection in light of the covenant, 
and knew that when he was watching his father's sheep, he had as the, the shepherd, he had the right to protect those sheep from any enemy. And when he took off after that lion, the power of the living God came upon him and the supernatural strength of God came on him and gave him the strength to tear apart a lion and gave him the strength to tear apart a bear because he was walking in light of the covenant, protected by the strength of God. It's the same power that came upon him when he stood before Goliath and said, You uncircumcised Philistine, in other words, you don't got any covenant with God. I'm not coming out here in my own strength. I've not come to face you. And that's the devil. The devil is a giant. The devil is a giant to the people. The devil is... Goliath was nothing but a type of the devil. See, he was going to cut off his head, meaning he had authority. You see, Adam lost his authority to the devil. As Goliath was a type of the devil, defying the armies of the living God, representing the devil in the world. And, and, and all the armies of Israel, they were scared. They were frightened because of that old maniac, the devil, the giant. But David was the only one. And listen to me. He was the only one that understood the covenant. You're a blessed people. You're going to understand your covenant with God. He was so, he understood that covenant so much that he stood before that old maniac devil, that, that Goliath, stood before him and he said, I, you defy the armies of the living God, but I'm telling you this day that I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And I'm coming out against, I'm not going to do it. My God whom I serve who delivered me out of the hand of the lion and the bear, his strength is going to come upon me and I'm going to cut off your head. A type of Jesus cutting off the head of the devil. The authority of the devil. And he went out there. And who do you think got a hold of that stone? When he slung that bow, I tell you, he left that sling. I mean to tell you, he went out there and an angel got a hold of it just like that and directed it right into his forehead. Knocked his head, knocked him down to the ground. And then he came on top of him and took that knife and just, knocked, just cut his head right off. He actually stripped him, you see, of his, the devil. It was a type of him stripping the devil of his headship, see, leadership and authority over the, the world, over the earth. And he did it in the strength of the covenant. That's the power that came upon him. This power, this strength he talks about protecting you is so powerful, it's so strong when you walk in the light of the covenant, if your enemy comes against you to throw you into a burning, fiery furnace, the power of God that will come upon you for walking in light of the covenant to protect you from your enemies, and that burning, fire furnace is a type of hell, burning in fire, uh, eternal destruction. That power come on you when you walk in light of the covenant and you don't, you don't, you know, bow down to the enemy. You don't bow down to the forces around you. You don't bow down to the devil and his forces. You hold fast to the word of God. You hold fast to your covenant. And that power of God will come on you and you won't get burned in the fiery furnace. In other words, you won't have eternal damnation. You're not going to hell. It's got enough power to protect you from hell. That's what it's saying. It's got enough power to protect you from the eternal damnation. Okay. That's the strength of the covenant. That is an added blessing that when your enemy comes at you one way, he'll flee seven ways when he sees you clothed with the power of God, the strength of God. One man come at, or a thousand men come at you, just one person walking in the light of the covenant could put him to flight. Ten thousand come at you, call your brother. Come on over, brother, let's agree together. Two will put ten thousand to flight. Protection from your enemies. Protection from your enemies. Now, are you ready? Hold your place there. John 17. 15. You're going to love it. You got your shouting clothes on now? John 17, 15. Jesus, before he left, was negotiating the covenant and the contract and inserted a clause. We find it recorded in John 17, 13. And in this clause, he asked the Father... Not to take us out of the world, John seventeen fifteen. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. The word keep, literally, in the Greek, there's more than one word for keep. This word, specifically speaking, means, write it down or circle it, put it in your Bible somewhere. It means to guard from loss or injury, to guard from loss or injury, to guard from loss or or injury by keeping the eye on. By keeping the eye on. He said, Father, I'm not praying that you should take them out of this world. I know you've got to have them in a world to save the world. But while they're in the world, Father, I pray thee, I pray thee, 
What did he say about his prayers? I thank you that thou hearest me always, and I know you always answer my prayers. So the Father answered this prayer. I pray thee that you keep them or protect them or guard them from loss or injury. How? By keeping your eye on them. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on a behalf of a blood covenant keeping partner. Well, that's my own version of it. Those that walk uprightly, sincere, are perfect towards him is what it says. That's a blood covenant person. That's a person that's walking in light of the covenant. The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro. 1 Peter 5, 7 says that the devil, your adversary, is, ro- is walking, walking, walking as a roaring lion. Walking as a roaring lion. David knew that that roaring lion had all his teeth out. He knew that that roaring lion was only walking. And he knew that his God's eyes were running to guard, to protect him from loss or from injury. And when it got to the lion, the power of God came on him and he destroyed it with his bare hands. The eyes of the Lord are on me to guard me, to protect me from loss or from injury by keeping His eyes on me. Let's say it together. Heavenly Father, I accept as my covenant blessing divine protection, supernatural intervention of angels on my behalf to guard me and to keep me From loss or injury in all that I do, my household included, I thank you that your eyes are upon me and you keep them upon me and you watch my every move so no evil can befall me, so no plague come nigh my dwelling, so no evil will happen to the righteous. I thank you for it. I accept it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. See, that's a blessing. Let's not belittle that blessing. Let's walk in light of that blessing, divine protection, property, everything that you've got by God. Okay. That'll make you want to just shout. That'll make you just want to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. That'll make you want to take up serpents. And if you drink it anything, it won't harm you. It won't what? Or hurt you. See, protect you from, or guard you from loss or hurt or harm by keeping his eyes on you. Don't you love that when you walk out and get up in the morning and say, Father, you got your eyes on me. You got your eyes on my body. You got your eyes all over me. I know that I'm walking in in your sight. I know that everything is naked before your eyes. And and I'm one of those individuals that you got your eyes on. And I know that you'll lead me in a way that's safe and sound. Hallelujah. See, divine protection from your Father God. Let's keep it as part of Abraham's blessings. He says, I'll be your shield, didn't he? I'll be your shield. That's a protecting shield to shield, to ward off any of the enemy. One could put a thousand, two could put ten thousand. Amen. Okay, well, now we need to take a look at the curses. Go back to Deuteronomy 28. The blessings came on the people as they walked in light of the word or, or the covenant that was spoken. So long as they kept the word, the blessings were automatic. So long as they walked in light of the covenant, the blessings were theirs. They came upon them and overtook them. But if they disobeyed, Here's what happens. Chapter 28, verse 15. But it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken. See, it's got nothing to do with God. It's got something to do with the people. If they'll hearken, the blessings will overtake them. If they don't hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, to observe to do, be a doer of the word, all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. It's the opposite, isn't it? And here they are. Curses shall not be in the city. Curses shall not be in the field. Curses shall be the, thy basket and thy store. Curses shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land and the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Curses shall thou be when thou comest in and curses shall thou be when thou goest out. Coming in and going out. Don't let the devil get you coming and going. Let God get you coming and going. Amen. Let the blessings of God get you coming and going. Bless coming in and going out. 
The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke, and all that thou settest thine hand unto to do, for to do, until thou be destroyed, until thou perish quickly, because of the wickedness of thy doings, whereby thou hast forsaken me. When you don't keep his word, you've forsaken him. The Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee, protection from pestilence, until he have consumed thee off the land, whither thou goest to possess it. The Lord shall smite thee with a consumption of tuberculosis, and with a fever, and with an inflammation, with an extreme burning, all kind of skin disorders and diseases, and with the sword, and with the blasting, with the mildew, and they shall pursue thee until thou perish. And thy heaven that, uh, that is over thy head shall be brass, and the earth that is under thee shall be iron, iron like a bondage. Brass, your prayers won't get above the ceiling. Bondage below, you see. Now, all these curses are just the opposite of all the blessings. And God says, I'm not the one that's doing it. It's either you're going to obey, and, and, and if you obey, then the blessings will come on you, or you're going to disobey, and then the curses will come on you. And what he's really doing, he is defining the curse that came upon the earth when Adam fell. When Adam fell, there was a curse came on all the earth. But they didn't have the knowledge of the curse. They didn't really know all these things. In the covenant, they had protection, but he never did go into the curses because he didn't want to frighten them, produce any type of fear on them. But now because they would not obey the word of God, they would not obey the covenant, they would not obey what God has asked them to do and observe his commandments and his statutes. And, you know, they could say, well, we didn't know you didn't want us, you wanted us to do this. Or we didn't know you wanted us to do that. So he gave them the written law to teach them and show them exactly what he wanted them to do. They were responsible because of that law to keep it. And if they could not keep it, then the curses, these curses would come upon them. Now that he has defined the curse to them and he has shown them what will take place if they disobey. Now they are responsible. You see, along with the law, which gave them direction of what to do and what not to do, came a curse. Because to whom much is given, much is required. Now that you know what to do, you better do it. So I've given you more. Now you know what to do. You better do it or the curse will come upon you. And the problem with this is, is that they couldn't keep the covenant. So look at verse 47 and 48. Again, the curses can be defined then as death, sickness and disease, and poverty, and fourthly, serving your enemies. See, the blessing was uh, protection from your enemies. Now the curse is, you will serve your enemies. And look at verse 47. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. You say, what do I got to be joyful about? What do I got to be happy about when I get out of bed in the morning? You've got a lot to be happy about. If you never receive one more blessing, the rest of your Christian days, you've got enough, you've been blessed with enough now, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, to get your feet when they hit the ground to dancing. Get out of your bed and start to shout. Because they serve not the Lord their God with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance. He's given them an abundance. He's given you and I an abundance. Jesus says, I came to give you life more abundantly. But because they weren't joyful in it, because they weren't glad in it, because they weren't rejoicing in it, because they weren't shouting glory over it, because they weren't getting excited about it, you see, they were murmuring and they were complaining. They wanted this. They wanted that. They were so caught up with carnal things. They wanted this and that. He said, you're going to serve. Look at the next verse. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies. You know what the word serve here means? You'll be enslaved. You'll be in bondage to... You'll serve your enemies. Enslaved, in bondage, you will work for your enemies. You are a co-laborer with God. You're not a co-laborer with the devil. You're not to work for the devil and, pro and promote all his propaganda, his, his fear and worry and anxiety and all that garbage that comes getting up in the morning and blah, blah, the blues. That's the devil kind of talk. Bless God. You've been blessed. You should, your feet should be so excited. When you get up, they can't stand still when you get out of bed in the morning. Feet praise God. I'll tell you what, BJ taught me something there. He said, feet, you're going to praise the Lord today. Hands, you're going to praise God. And he said, whole body, you're going to praise the Lord today. Oh, look, we got one step further. I start speaking to my mind. Mind, you will not be set on things below. Mind, you will not listen to the lower form of life. Mind, you will be set and exercised upon the higher life, the things above, heavenly things. Mind, you will cooperate with my spirit. I'm not allowing you to think on those things that are ugly. You're going to think on those things that are good, lovely, pure, just, good report. That's what you're going to be thinking on. 
And so you start speaking to your mind. I'm going to tell you, it'll change your whole life. Stop. It'll change you. Begin to rejoice. Begin to be glad. Don't wake up with that negative aspect in your life. Because if you do, you will serve your enemies. Look at what he said here. Which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in want of all things. In what? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, that doesn't go good, does it? There's no contrast there, is there? The Lord's your shepherd, I will not want. Because I serve him with joyfulness and gladness of heart in the abundance of all things. But the enemy, I'm not serving him. See? In one of all things. See, when you serve your enemy, you'll never have anything. Like I said, I don't have time to really get in-depth in all these, but this is our next step, pronouncing the blessings and the curses. I don't got time to get into in-depth detail about all these, but every individual person should study the blessings and study the curses and meditate upon them blessings. Find out what the curses are. Find out that you don't have to be in bondage to tuberculosis anymore. Find out that cancer cannot kill you any longer. Find out that these diseases cannot come upon you and overtake you. Find out that everything that's written in the curse of the law Jesus became for you and you need not bear what Jesus bore. See? Find it out. Put it inside your inner, inner man, your inner spirit. Look at 58. If thou wilt not observe to do all the words. You see, he keeps saying if you don't do the words. Of this law that, that are written in this book that thou mightest fear, mayest fear the glorious and fearful name the Lord your God. Then the Lord will make your plagues wonderful and plagues of thy seed even great plagues and of long continuance and sore sicknesses and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt which thou wast afraid of and they shall cleave unto thee also every sickness and every plague which is not written in this book, in the book of this law. Then will the Lord bring upon thee until you be destroyed. So the curses and the blessings come upon you for obedience or disobedience. It's not God doing it. It's the individual's obedience or disobedience to the covenant and it's law here, as far as Israelites are concerned. How many of you are Gentiles? Say by grace. That Galatians 3.13 was not, really was not written to the Gentile. Did you know that? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Paul was speaking as a Jew. You were never under the law. So how could you be redeemed from the curse of the law? Christ redeemed them from the curse of the law. So the blessings of Abraham could come upon them. When the Gentiles came in to the sheepfold, there was no curse to the Gentiles. They entered into the blessings of Abraham automatically. There was no curse of the law. But the Judaizers were trying to teach these Gentiles, these proselytes, and, and these Jews that were saved to live under the law. And he said, the curse will come upon you if you do. Because you can't keep the law, which we're going to see in Jeremiah 11 chapter. Let's see that they could not keep the law. See, it's... It's a fact that they cannot keep the law. They just can't do it. Now, by faith, Joshua got them in there. But when they got in there, they began to forget. And because they began to forget, then they fell under the curse. They didn't keep the law. They didn't keep in faith. They didn't keep doing what God said for them to do. They began to worship other gods. Let's look at the broken covenant right here. Jeremiah 11, chapter, verse 1. Okay, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, hear ye the words of this covenant and speak unto the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say thou unto them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, cursed be the man that obeyeth not the words of this covenant. See, friends, the curse does not come on you because God wanted to teach you a lesson. Sickness don't come on you because God wants to perfect you. Tragedies don't happen because God wants to, you know, get your attention. Car wrecks don't happen so that God could get your attention. No, not at all. Cursed be the man that doesn't obey these words. Now, look, I've got to humble myself. And so do you. If I keep the words, I'll be blessed. If I don't keep the words, I'm not going to be blessed. Look on. Which I commanded your fathers in the day that I brought them forth out of the land of Egypt... From the iron furnace, see bondage, iron, iron furnace, that's Egypt's bondage, saying, Obey my voice and do them according to all which I command you, so shall you be my people, and I will be your God. Why, Lord, that I may perform the oath which I have sworn. See, the father, although he swore to give him this, 
He couldn't keep his word in a sense that they wouldn't allow him to bless him. Because his word also said that the curses will come upon you. And so if they didn't keep the word, then God couldn't bless them. The curse came on them. But if he kept the word, then God was able to perform what he swore to Abraham without a curse. That's the blessings. Which I have sworn to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. Then answered I and said, So be it, Lord. Then the Lord said unto me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear ye the words of this covenant and do them. For I earnestly protested unto your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, even unto this day, rising early and protesting, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they obeyed not, nor inclined their ear, but walked every one in the imagination of their evil heart. Therefore I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant which I commanded them to do, but they did them not. And that was Moses along with all the children of Israel, along with the ten spies that stood before the land of promise because the giants were in the land. They didn't believe God. They didn't obey His voice. The angel went before them to protect them from their enemies. That was part of the blessing. But they didn't listen to what He said to do. And consequently, they did not enter into the land of promise, but they died in the wilderness. The curse came upon them. Isn't that right? Okay. But when Joshua took over the leadership, him and Caleb were faith men. They believed in what God said. They said, we can take the land, bless God. And they went in. They got the land of promise. See? And God was able to perform the oath, which he swore. Okay, now let's go on. And he said in verse 9, Unto me, a conspiracy is found among uh, the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers which refused to hear my words, and they went after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant. Underline it. Which I made with their fathers. They broke the covenant. Therefore, 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 thus... Oh, look out. Are you ready for this? Thus saith the Lord. They broke the covenant. Therefore, thus saith the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon them which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Then shall the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto the gods of whom they offer incense, but they shall not save them at, their, at all in their time of trouble. Man, them other false gods are never going to get you anywhere. You put something above God in your life, it's not going to heal you, it's not going to save you, it's not going to help you, it's not going to protect you from your enemies. You put a doctor to be, you know, above God in your life, I'm going to tell you something right now. You can trust them all, you know, if you, and I'm not saying it to be negative or to be destructive. You can make a doctor your God. Did you know that over your body? Did you know that? I said, did you know that? If you want to, you can. I'm going to tell you something. When the trouble comes, I mean, when that final trouble comes that says terminal, go ahead and see if they can heal you. Go ahead and see if they can heal you. They can't do it. But look it. For according to the number of the cities to thy, for thy gods of Judah, and according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, have I set up altars to that shameful thing, even altars to burn incense to Baal. Therefore, pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. When you break the covenant with God, when you put false gods up in front of Him and before Him, and you turn to the arm of the flesh and you just let the world be your God, when your time of trouble comes, friend, He won't hear he won't hear. Now, he's talking to them about breaking that covenant. That covenant was sealed by the blood of goats. Abraham is a fleshly man who was a sinner man. The man did not have the life of God in him, the blood of God in him. That's why that first covenant, you know, only fulfilled one thing. That was to bring the seed. That first covenant, that Abrahamic covenant, could not have been in itself without Christ an eternal covenant. Now, listen. His blood was sin-stained. And that's why he couldn't mingle with God's sin, sinless blood. That's why he used the sacrifice of an animal, an innocent animal, and a man who was guilty. It was only a type of this covenant, the new covenant, when God's blood and man's blood would be intermingled in the life of Jesus Christ. 100% man, 100% God. But we see here, this was a covenant where the blood was the blood of goats and bulls and lambs and so on. If they broke that covenant, it was so binding that covenant, if they broke that covenant, God wouldn't hear them, He wouldn't answer them, He wouldn't do anything for them, He wouldn't heal them, He wouldn't save them, their enemies would destroy them. And that was an animal blood covenant. And the Bible says that if anybody disobeyed it in the book of Hebrews, they died by the sword if they disobeyed the covenant of that blood. But you and I have not come to that blood covenant. 
You and I have come to the blood of the living Son of God. Our covenant is sealed by the precious blood of Jesus. We have got a better covenant with better blood. And if somebody sins against that blood, the book of Hebrews says, how much more sore punishment suppose ye he to be thought worthy of that sin accounted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and did it despite the spirit of grace. You sin against that covenant. You know how they broke the blood covenant, the Israelites? Didn't God have a right to destroy them off the face of the earth for breaking that blood covenant, but couldn't do it because Abraham had died already? And in the covenant he kept it. Now listen to me. This nation should have been destroyed because they were really the representative people of Abraham, the people he represented. But now this Jehovah with whom they were in covenant with came to the earth. I mean, they finally were introduced to their blood covenant head partner. He came to visit them. He was in the house of his friends to visit his blood covenant people to instruct them about the fulfillment of their covenant. And instead of him wiping them off the face of the earth, do you know what Israel did to their blood covenant partner who didn't do them any wrong? Killed them. They broke the covenant. They killed the head, their blood covenant partner. Wow is right. Look out. Jerusalem, beautiful Jerusalem with its temple, its beauty. I mean, it was so, so cost. Everything was, it was just the most expensive thing. Everything that you could think of was annihilated. The Jews were scattered. They broke the blood covenant by killing their blood covenant they should have been destroyed, not him. That's how awesome this is. If anybody wants to think about sinning against the blood of Jesus, if that happened to them, how much more sore punishment? And people say you can't lose your salvation. Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? You sin against the blood of Jesus? You count his blood an unholy thing? Heaven won't take that lightly. Heaven will not take that lightly. That's, that's priceless, that blood. You can't sin against that blood. It's all in the book of Hebrews. We'll bring it out as we go on in our study. Okay, now what do we do? What do we do now? Here's, here's the Israelites. I mean, here's a nation. They have a covenant. They have a covenant law added to the covenant. It's called the Mosaic Law. It's to instruct them and also to cover their sin. They need a Levitical priesthood established. See, this was imperative that they have a priesthood headed up in the high priest established to cover their sin. If their sin's not covered, the covenant's broken. But now they have provision made. So now we see something more added to the covenant. We see, or to the, to the law, covenant with its law, the priesthood in its second function, after they pronounce the blessings and the curses, now they begin, go to the book of, well, let's go to the book of Galatians first. Now we see that we need a priesthood to keep Israel in fellowship with God by covering those sins against the covenant. Because since they can't keep the covenant, they're going to have the full curse come upon them. They can't keep the covenant. It's impossible to keep the law. No man can keep the law. So what's going to happen? They're going to fall under the curse. So God has got to make provision so the blessings can still come on them. How? By establishing a Levitical priesthood, which would offer sacrifices for their sins, cover their sins, so to speak, so that they can walk in a limited fellowship with God and so that they can enjoy the blessings without being destroyed and the curses from coming upon them. And it's all headed up in the high priest. Now, in the second chapter of the book of Galatians, before I get into the high priest, here are some things about the law you need to know. The law, it was limited. The first covenant was limited. It could only do so much. It was limited in these respects. Number one, in Galatians 2.16... The law could not produce justification. Galatians 2.16, you could not be justified by the works of the law. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But you see, he's teaching them. Now they know and should have known that you can't be justified by the works of the law. So it can't do that. It can't produce that. Okay, number two, Galatians 3.21. Is then is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, 
right there. The law cannot give life. That law could not give life. And number three, verily righteousness should have been by the law. It can't give righteousness. It cannot produce justification. It cannot produce life. It cannot give righteousness. It's limited. You see, this first covenant is limited. Let's go on. Verse 2, chapter 3. This only, what I learn of you, receive you the Spirit by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. It cannot produce the Holy Ghost. Cannot produce the Holy Ghost. Verse 5. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Miracles cannot be provided and produced by the law. You can't be justified. You can't have life. You can't be declared righteous. can't get the Holy Ghost. You can't get miracles. How good is it? Well, it was there to teach them of Christ. Because when He came, bless God, He's going to get all those things. See? But they thought that they were justified by the works of the law, but the works of the law couldn't justify anybody. Couldn't do anything. It had its place. But we find out what its limitations are. Okay. Now, the book of Hebrews will show us in the ninth chapter, the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews, will show us the function of the high priest and the priests, the Levitical priesthood, will show us the provision that was made, provision that was made because of their sin, will show us how, remember we talked about the law, the law was divided into three categories, the moral law, ten commandments, to show that they were sinners, they had a need of a savior. Number two, shadow Christology, to point them to Christ, through the showbread, through the table, and the incense, the, 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 the raw that budded, Aaron's raw that budded, and so on and so forth. And then social law, dietary, sanitary, proper care of crops, crops and land, all that was involved in the social law. Okay, it was to teach them all those things, especially shadow Christology, to teach them about Christ, the schoolmaster. All right. Now here we see the high priest teaching them what Jesus would do as in his high priestly ministry. And here we begin to see, in verse 1, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was... Stop there. The first covenant had a worldly sanctuary. Not a heavenly one, a worldly one. It had order of divine service. Okay? For there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which was called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of his people. Okay, right there. The heirs of his people. They can't keep the covenant, can't keep the law, can't obey it. They're in danger of the curse coming on them. A Levitical priesthood is established. A worldly sanctuary is provided. A divine order of service is instituted. They're going to do all these things. The high priest is going to take a lamb. He's going to go in once a year. He's going to offer up that lamb. He's going to take the blood in a basin. going to you know, apply that blood over the mercy seat. The heavenly tenses of worship. Okay? They're going to use all this blood to atone for the sins of Israel. Once a year, he's going to do this and he's going to cover up their sins so that the fullness of the curse doesn't come upon them and they can be blessed. Where do they get all this order of service? Now we come to the last, the last part of the ceremony, the covenant meal. If you'll remember, and I'm not going to take time, there's so much, I can't take time to go back there and read it all. If you'll remember, the covenant meal was instituted in Exodus chapter 12, when the feast of the Passover was instituted, when Israel was about to be delivered from the Egyptian bondage, they were told to take the lamb, a spotless lamb of the first year. They were supposed to offer it up. For every family was to take a lamb. They were supposed to kill the lamb without spot, without blemish, so on and so forth. And they were to offer up that lamb as a sacrifice. They were to catch the blood in the basin. They were supposed to get a branch of hyssop and dip it in the blood and put it upon the doorpost and little of their house. And every house that was covered by the blood, they were free. And when a death angel came, the firstborn of every individual's house who did not have the blood covering them, they died, which was a type of the curse coming upon them. But those that were covered by the blood, they were protected. Divine protection. 
again through the blood, the blood of goats and bulls. And so they continued to offer up these sacrifices. It was instituted back then, and it was told to them that they were to keep this in practice year after year, once a year. The high priest then entered in, he took the spotless lamb, he offered it up, and the blood then would be used that protected them, would now be used to cover their sins. That's about as quick as I can give it to you without going back there and reading it all. But you understand, we'll get into this in the covenant meal. This is the last part of the ceremony. It's the covenant meal. Okay. When they got the lamb in them and the blood over them, I mean to tell you, it was shouting grounds. They took off out of that place of bondage and they were delivered. There was not one feeble among their tribe. They were set free. And this was being reenacted here by the high priest. Once a year. He atoned for their sin. They were free from their sin. Free from the bondage of the law. They were free from all that garbage. But it could only do so much. It was limited. It couldn't justify them. They would, they'd be doing this today if Jesus didn't come, friends. They'd be doing it and everybody would be in Abraham's bosom yet because they couldn't get the glory. They'd just be doing this year after year after year after year after year after year. Okay? And so this is what happened here with the high priest. And uh, let me share with you five offerings in the book of Leviticus. Five offerings you need to be familiar with at least and explain to you how they were used. Five offerings. Number one, whole burnt offering. Whole burnt offering. Number two, meal offering. Number three, peace offering. Those first three we call fellowship offerings. Number four, trespass offering. Number five, sin offering. We call those two broken fellowship offerings. Whole burnt meal peace offering fellowship offerings. Trespass offering, sin offering, broken fellowship offerings. Quickly, Matthew 5. Okay? When an Israelite was in fellowship with God, he came to the priest with an offering. It could be a whole burnt offering. It could be a peace offering. It could be a meal offering. And he was in fellowship with God. And he wanted to worship his father God you know, with this offering and just let it be a sweet-smelling savor unto His, like the evening sacrifices be, you know, a, a worship offering just to worship Him and fellowship with Him. I mean, just to just be around His presence, you see, in a limited sense. Okay. But now, if an Israelite trespassed against his neighbor or if his neighbor had ought against him, now listen, he couldn't take that offering. Look at this verse, 23. Therefore, if thou... Bring, chapter 5, 23. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and thou rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer the gift. If an Israelite went there to praise God, let's say in our day we go to praise God, and you're out of fellowship with somebody in the body of Christ, you better take heed to what he's saying here. You don't go and worship God with an offering, a whole burnt offering, a peace offering, a meal offering, or a sacrifice of praise offering out of fellowship with somebody in the body of Christ. If they have all against you or you have all against them, you don't do that. You leave your gift by the altar. You go out there to the high priest if it's a sin offering, which is sinning against the holy things of God, and you make atonement and a sacrifice for that sin. Or if there's a trespass offering, you have to offer, offer up that offering to restore that fellowship with your brother. A fellow Israelite. And if you didn't do that, you don't offer up those other offerings. And that's the same with us. If we have ought in our heart against any or someone has ought against us, we get that reconciled before we start praising our God. Otherwise, you're walking in darkness. And of course, you'll be cleansed if you'll, by that blood of Jesus if you will confess your sin. Look at 6th chapter and verse 12. In the Lord's, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power, or the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Notice that deliver us from evil is involved here. Look at this. In trespasses. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. See, this was part of fellowship and broken fellowship. And many were not cashing in on the blessings of the covenant because they were walking in broken fellowship with someone in their nation. And if they did, they had to offer up these other sacrifices first. Okay. Now, at this point right now, and I didn't get quite as far. I got just this far with the first group. 
right now, with all these things tied together, I didn't explain the covenant meal, which we'll get into it before Easter Sunday. We're going to have the partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, is in full strength right now. There's nothing more to be revealed. They understand the covenant. Their heads came together. They exchanged their lives. Uh, they, they cut the covenant. They changed their names. They pronounced the blessings. They pronounced the curses. They had the covenant meal now. The law was added to teach them all they had to learn about Christ. All they're waiting now is for the fullness of time. Okay? They're waiting for the seed that should come. This makes way for the Messiah to come. Now, the covenant is in full strength. It's in, it could not go any further than it has gone. It cannot... You know, it, you can't go any further than what's all the things that have already happened. There's no more to add to it. That's it. That's the limitations of that Abrahamic covenant. It's operating in full strength with the, with the law, the priesthood, and the, and the sacrifices, the blood sacrifices, so on and so forth. And that's where it's at right now. And it's continued year after year after year after year after year after year after year. But, Hebrews 10. It can't make them justified. It can't make them free. It can't give them liberty. It can't give them righteousness. It can't give them justification. It can't give them miracles. It can't give them the Holy Ghost. What in the world is it doing? It provided an avenue for the Messiah. That's what it was intended to do, was to provide a way for the Messiah to come into the earth through a legal channel. Are you ready for this? I didn't get a chance to really read this. And I'm going to have to bring it up tonight. We're going to with the first group, but we're going to bring it up again tonight. Here's what it could not do. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. For the law, verse 1. For the law, and we'll close it here, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. It couldn't do that. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once Purge should have had no more conscience of sins. It couldn't do that. It couldn't give him remission of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible, you got to underline that, that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. It's operating in full strength. It's doing what it's designed to do. You know, all that it's supposed to do, it's doing. They're supposed to receive revelation knowledge out of this. But it can't do those vital things we just read. Are you ready now? And we'll read some more tied in tonight, but I want to close with this. Let's read right on. Wherefore, in other words, it couldn't do it, but listen to this. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, hallelujah, when he, I can just see Mary standing there, be it done unto me according unto thy word. And Jesus at the right hand saying, when I'm coming into the world, he's saying the same thing. Simultaneous conception, you see. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and burnt offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you've had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do thy will, O God. Mary said, Be it done unto me according to thy will, to thy word. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offering, and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified to the offering of the body. The law couldn't do that of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standing daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God for henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering he had perfected the law couldn't do that. Forever them that are sanctified whereof the Holy Ghost also witnessed witness it, but it didn't witness under the first covenant. It said the Holy Ghost witnessed that it was not available to get into that Holy of Holies. Also, it's a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin, because there's no more remembrance of sin. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood, not of a lamb, but the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. That way was not provided under the old covenant. A new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. See, that's what Jesus was going to do. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life. 
and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.